0: Welcome to Yolitix, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics.
1: Hey again, everybody, uh, thanks for uh, joining us for yet another week of Yolitics as we crack one open and uh, talk about uh, the events of the day. It, it, it seems like there's been a lot of heavy news uh, lately, uh, everything going on with Afghanistan and COVID and just, it, boy, it just it's just everywhere you look, it's just heavy stuff. And so I've just decided in light of that today, Jason, I'm going to have a Shiner Light Blonde, just trying light. to keep it light today. At least, at least I can keep the beer light. My goodness, it's just like the headlines these days you know give us some relief yeah no, no doubt i'm having a
2: uh, a revolver backyard b it's a uh Kolsch style honey ale it's a lighter beer as well too probably not as light as your shiner but this is uh good stuff from granberry of course blood and honey is what uh i think revolver is best known for is that right isn't that right, guys?
1: Blood and honey. I think so, but I, I like that that B one there too. Uh, yeah. And you know, I've I, I'm I'm doing a bottle again, and the reason that I uh, one more reason that I really appreciate Shiner. Last week, I had an out of state beer, and I can't remember which one it was. And, uh, Miller Lite, I think you had
2: last week, wasn't it?
1: <laughs> no, I know it wasn't Miller Lite, and here's why. Because <laughs> I went to twist off the cap, and I think I shredded about four fingers. You know, usually with domestics, you can do that. And I thought, gosh, have I just gotten less strong? Uh, but it was the bottle. It certainly couldn't have been me. And, yeah, and so and, I'm and an apology. am Shiner. Shiner is easy to <laughs> peel off.
2: Shiner does have a good uh, twist off. But an apology as well, too. After uh, I mentioned the Seinfeld episode, uh, Taylor, our producer, said, You've told that story like four times, dude. We've all heard the story. No one's seen the episode. You don't need to keep repeating it. So my apologies (laughs) for continuing to uh, harp on about that episode there.
1: People do that with Seinfeld episodes, though. (laughs) They're legendary. Um, So, you know, this week we're tackling this again it's like the issue that does not go away maybe your kids have been going back to school for a couple of weeks maybe your kids are just about to go back to school maybe you don't have kids and yet you're affected anyway uh, because we're talking about these local mask mandates here in Texas, because as we all know, uh, the coronavirus is just surging once again, this Delta variant, uh, just absolutely nasty. We've been seeing the cases pile up. We've been seeing those ICU beds dwindle down as far as supply goes. And some of these localities have been taking matters into their own hands, and that includes school districts saying, hey, you know what? We need these kids to mask up. We need these teachers to mask up. Uh, but that is in direct defiance. Of Governor Abbott, who had put out an order, a governor's executive order, saying you can't do that at the local level.
2: But it's it's the same thread, but a lot has changed since our last emergency episode, uh, episode late last week. So this episode really is about what's happening legally. On Sunday, the uh, state supreme court made a decision. It wasn't a permanent decision. It wasn't ruling on uh, a ruling on the merits of the uh, cases that Dallas and Bear Counties uh, took. But there have been a lot of developments and there will be more developments maybe even before this podcast actually publishes Mm. um, Mm -hmm. legally with this. How long is it going to last? This podcast episode is going to be about everything you need to know legally. And it's explained by a guy we've had on before who is very good, brings it down to Wheeler's level so he can understand it. Uh, He didn't go to law school. We all know we feel sorry for him. But uh, if Wheeler can get this one, we all can get it.
1: Yeah, absolutely right, though. You know, I'm going to admit that uh, because this has been head spinning. I mean, every time you turn around, you know, just as people who report the news, it almost gets to the point where you have to draw a timeline for yourself so that you can remember where we've been, where we are and where we're probably going to be tomorrow or maybe later tonight. And so it really helps to have somebody who just gets right down in there and knows exactly what this means and has at least an idea of what we might see because he's got sort of this legal crystal ball there. So, so let's get to our guest. It's, it's Steve Vladeck, uh,
2: V-L-A-D-E-C-K Vladeck, And he is at UT Austin. He has a a huge resume, but I'll, I'll just go through uh, a a tad bit of it here. Jason, you know, talks, is going to talk to him about this uh, here in a moment, but he's a Charles Allen Wright chair in federal courts at university of Texas law school in Austin. You, you've probably seen him before on CNN. He is, uh, in fact, you know, that's where I saw him on CNN and said, hey, let's call the guy here and see if he would talk to us. So he did that once before in a previous episode. So we have him on the line again right now. And uh, he, he's you know, Steve. Hey, before you go, going, you're always gracious to at least take our call. But uh, we have a whole list of questions for you to lay this thing out. It-
1: Professor, uh, thanks for being with us here. Can you just walk us through what's going on here? Because I think a, a lot of parents, a lot of people uh, in Texas, just their heads are spinning right now. Oh, boy, guys, we're in purgatory. Um, <laughs> you know, if Dante
0: were here, he'd find some tragic irony in all of this. Um, so, I mean, listen, it's not for nothing that this is exactly the kind of situation where you need clarity um, and we're not getting it. And indeed, part of that is the fault of, If I may say, you know, the the state itself, the attorney general keeps putting out press releases, misdescribing what's going on. So let let me do my best to set the stage. Um, So, you know, Jason, you mentioned the governor's order, and that's the place to start. Right. So there's what's called executive order, GA 38, which Governor Abbott issued on July 29th, which, among other things, bans local mask mandates. Um, and indeed subjects anyone, any school district that imposes such a mandate to a penalty, to a $1,000 fine. Um, that is one track of all of this, which is what is the status of the governor's executive order? And then, Jason, as you mentioned, there are a number of school districts, uh, Bear County, Dallas County, uh, here, Travis County, Austin, the Austin ISD, that have issued their own mandates, um, which certainly seem to be in contravention of the governor's ban. It's important to keep these separate. Um, and so let's just talk for now about the governor's order. Um, so the governor's order was challenged in court by some of these school districts. Um, and there were rulings late last week, um, in both Dallas and Bear County, um, where, where the trial judge, the lowest judge on the totem pole issued what's called a temporary restraining order TRO that blocked for the moment, the governor's order. And so, in those jurisdictions—in Bear County, and Dallas County, and then eventually in, in Travis County—there um, was this period of time where the governor's order itself was not in effect. Um, and so, that didn't mean masks were automatically required. That mm-hmm. left those jurisdictions, those school districts, to impose mandates if they wanted to, um, right? That right. they could do so free of the governor's order. Um, okay. Late Sunday afternoon, the Texas Supreme Court um, issued a pair of rulings, one in the Dallas County case, one in the Bear County case, where it issued what's called a stay. Um, this is not a final ruling. This is just freezing what the lower courts had done. Mm-hmm. And so in real world terms, the lower courts had put the governor's order on hold, right? The Texas Supreme Court is saying, we're freezing your hold. We're putting the governor's order back into effect mm-hmm. in Dallas County, in Bear County. Um, This is where things started going off the rails. So the attorney general put out a tweet and a statement saying that the Texas Supreme Court had ordered schools to discontinue mask mandates, that it had struck down. I I wanna find the exact language, but that it was basically that school districts had been ordered by the Texas Supreme Court to do something. That's just not true, Um, right? All that happened last night was the Texas Supreme Court wiped away for the moment these two lower court rulings that had temporarily blocked the governor's order right nothing about the Dallas County mandate nothing about the Bear County mandate nothing about the Austin ISD mandate were directly affected were frozen were effect, were, were were blocked and so now
1: everything is back on and so that's what you mean by purgatory because there's 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 no real direction
0: that's right so um, the and I think you know this is where I think the folks who aren't lawyers just yell at all of us lawyers and rightfully so, um, here's the thing. It, it's, it might help us to take a second to talk about what it means to be bound by a court's ruling. Cause I think some of the confusion here is like who actually is bound by what the Texas Supreme Court has right. done. Um, so if I am the Austin school district, if I'm the Dallas County schools, if I'm the Bear County schools, right? I have not been told by any court to not impose a mask mandate. Um, Right. There is no order of a court that says my mask mandate is barred. Um, And so those school districts are free, at least for the moment, if they want to, to pursue whatever mandates they desire. Those mandates, guys, are in conflict with the governor's executive order. um, Right. And so those school districts potentially face the penalty that the governor's order contemplates, a thousand dollar fine. Um, but that's not to say that the courts have directly told the school districts to stop doing what they're doing. That's that's the daylight here. So, Steve, what, tell me
2: what I, I got plenty of questions for you, man. But, but tell us what, what happens next in all this then? Because it's it sounds like the, since the Supreme Court stayed the lower court's uh, uh,
0: decision. It goes back to that lower court, right? Yeah. So the, this is where things get really, really messy. So a TRO is the very, very, very beginning of a case. Um, right, but the, the Texas Supreme Court did not tell the lower courts to stop, um, right? And indeed, one of the things that Ken Paxton, the attorney general, had asked the Texas Supreme Court to do was not just issue a stay, but issue something called a writ of mandamus that would have basically resolved this case and made it go away. Yeah, And notably, right, I mean, everyone focused on the headline, the Texas Supreme Court blocked these lower court rulings. It's kind of telling that they did not go further mm-hmm. um, and that they did not actually tell the lower courts to rule for the governor on the merits, but actually let the lower courts continue to go forward with this process. So- What, what, know, what did that tell you? What did that tell you, Steve? Um, it tells me, well, it tells me that they're not a 100% convinced, right? Hmm. That at the end of the day, all these school districts are gonna lose. Maybe 90% convinced, Jason. I mean, you know, a stay is still a pretty, you know, a high bar to meet if you're the governor, um, but that this is not settled beyond peradventure. Um, mm-hmm. And that maybe the Texas Supreme Court is trying to sort of let things play out a little bit more before it finally sort of you know puts its foot down.
1: Um, Professor, yeah. you've actually argued cases before the Texas Supreme Court. It, you know, walk a layperson through this. How unusual is it for them to dip into this right away like this?
0: So, you know, Jason, it's a great question. It's unusual in the abstract. Um, it's not unusual when it's the governor um, mm-hmm. coming directly to them and asking for help. Um, and so we have seen, you know, across the country, Jason, um, more and more of these so-called emergency applications in recent years. Um, in COVID context, we saw a number of them in the Texas Supreme Court last year in the run-up to the election. You guys probably remember at least some of those with the mm-hmm. Harris County voting and some, you know, yeah, the yeah. the remote drop-off locations and the drive-through voting. So, you know, we're seeing more and more of them. Um, these are not supposed to be adjudications on the merits, right? When, when you ask the Texas Supreme Court for what's called emergency relief, you're basically saying, hey, guys, we think we're going to win when all is done. While that's playing out, right, what should the status quo be? Should the status quo be that our statewide uh, order is blocked or should the status quo be that our order is in effect? Mm. Um, and part of, guys, why this is so confusing here is even though the Texas Supreme Court said The status quo is that the statewide order will be in effect. It did not thereby throw out the local mandates that are in conflict with that order, right? it did not. It did not strike down the Dallas County mandate, did not strike down the Bear County mandate. It, it, It has not yet, at least as we're talking, struck down the Travis County mandate. And so this is why I think school districts are confused, why parents are certainly confused. Um, And I think this is we're we're only in I I fear for more confusion um, before this is ultimately resolved.
2: So I'm a parent, Steve. Um, I live in a county in which, uh, you know, this is happening. My county judge says you got to wear masks right in the middle of all of it. What do I need to do? I mean, I I can't be fined, it looks like right now. But but what what should I be doing for, for myself and for my kids?
0: Well, I mean, you know, Jason, there's the moral question and there's a the legal question. Um, yeah. I'm a parent, too. I've got, you know, a three-year-old and a five-year-old girl. Right. They're both too young to be vaccinated. Um, I think the reality is that parents for the moment should be following what their local school boards are telling them to do, um, because they're much more likely to run into problems if they're contravening what their school board is doing than if they're contravening what they think the governor is doing. Mm. Um, And so if you're getting guidance from your school board, you know, there might be parents who wanna challenge that guidance in court, that's their right. Um, But I think, you know, the the moral of the story for the moment should be, do what your school board's telling you to do, and perhaps even do more than the school board's telling you to do if you think it's appropriate.
1: Seems like we see so many of these high stakes fights uh, right now, as you mentioned, through COVID uh, last year with the election, um, you know, between, uh, you know, localities and a state or between the states and the federal government. We have a history of this, though, in this country. But when you're living through it in real time, it feels like, you know, it almost seems unprecedented the level to which the different, uh, you know, levels of government are not getting along with each other. You've studied constitutional law. You, you, you know, you studied this stuff for a long time. Is this happening more, or is it just that we're, we happen to be living in it right now? I, I mean, Jason, I think the answer
0: is both. Um, right. I mean, I, I think it is happening more in absolute terms. Um, and I think it feels more urgent because, you know, we're facing ca- crises and conflicts, the likes of which we haven't seen in this volume um, mm-hmm. in our lifetimes. I mean, you know, we can all think about sort of one off examples of prior episodes. We can think about like the, you know, the 2003 episode when the legislature fled to Oklahoma. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, the you know, there are like scattershot examples throughout history of each of the things we've seen. Not all of these happening at once, though. Um, and so I think it's the confluence of all of this. I also think guys, you know, there's been a sort of longer, less visible shift in how we structure litigation mm-hmm. um, with and against governments in the country where now more of it is front-loaded so that there's much more being done early on in the case where, you know, you have the preliminary ruling by a trial judge and whoever loses goes right up to the appeals court or the, the state or federal Supreme Court. Um, that I think is an unintended or at least not entirely intended um, um, sort of shift that's happened in the last 15, 20 years. So you add it all together, guys, and you get this mess and you get this muddle Mm -hmm. and you get this sort of situation, I think uniquely in Texas, where the contest between the state and the local governments really does fall into partisan terms, Um, right, where you have a, a very sort of a state government controlled very much by one party, some prominent local governments very much controlled by the other party. And so it's not just sort of state local warfare. It's partisan warfare.
2: All right. Before I ask you the next question, though, Steve, let's take a quick break for a sponsor. Steve, the same thing's playing out in Florida uh, for our listeners who might be uh, following that as well, too, especially on cable news. But any chance the U.S. Supreme Court might get this? Will, will any of these cases, uh, you, you know, be appealed that far? And and what what does the makeup of the U.S. Supreme Court tell you about how it might decide if it even takes the case?
0: Yeah, Jason, great question. Um, and I think you know, there, everyone sort of assumes that every legal question in the country ends up in the U.S. Supreme Court eventually. Right. Um, here's actually a rare example where that's not true. Um, so, you know, the fight over the governor's executive order from July that if you actually peel away the layers of the rhetoric, the actual legal argument is that the governor is exceeding his statutory authority under the Texas Disaster Act, a statute passed by the Texas legislature. Um, whatever you think the answer is, that's a question of Texas law, not federal law. Um, and so, you know, the way that our system is structured, you can't appeal a decision by the Texas Supreme Court on a matter of Texas law to the US Supreme Court, the Texas Supreme Court gets the last word on Texas law. Um, and so if nothing else, guys, maybe this draws more attention to the fact that our Supreme Court elections in our state are actually pretty important. Um, mm-hmm. And that folks who just sort of instinctively tick the box at the ballot box when they're voting for Supreme Court justices, actually these are folks who get the last word on some pretty significant questions that affect us a lot more directly than maybe we've appreciated in the past.
1: That is an interesting point because I think a lot of people probably don't research uh, those seats uh, very much compared to, you know, what they do with, let's say an office of governor. Um, uh, Professor, I'd like to read a fragment of one of your tweets um, about this Supreme Court, this Texas Supreme Court ruling, uh, uh, because it, it just stuck out at me. You only get so many characters on Twitter. And I noticed that you said in a pair of unsigned orders, why did you highlight the fact that they were unsigned orders? How much significance does that have?
0: Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I think there, there are folks who read more into that than I intended. Um, oh. You know, most no, but Jason, I, I, it's important to explain what I mean. What I meant by that, right, is this is the norm we're seeing these days. It's the norm we're seeing from the Texas Supreme Court. It's the norm we're seeing from the U.S. Supreme Court. It's not that these orders have previously been signed. Right. Historically, orders are unsigned. Opinions are signed. That's the distinction we've had. It's that more and more of these orders, which really used to be just doing anodyne procedural stuff, are having pretty significant substantive effects. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I've been pretty vocal, at least with regard to the U.S. Supreme Court, that when these orders are having such dramatic substantive effects, it would be better not just for them to be signed, but for them to be accompanied with rationale. Um and with some explanation for why these orders are being granted. So, you know, for example, we don't know why the Texas Supreme Court did what it did on Sunday. We don't know if they did it because they're absolutely sure the governor's gonna win on the merits or because they think it's a close case, but the equities, the sort of the balance of considerations tilt in his favor. You know, so I guess, Jason, when I say unsigned, I guess it's unsigned and unexplained. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the norm historically for orders. I just think that orders are doing more and more in our legal system today Than they have historically, which is why I'd like to see more attribution
1: and more analysis. So if I were a justice and I was, you know, let's say if I were going to make a ruling on something that I knew was going to be controversial or maybe very unpopular with a lot of people, my best way to kind of get out of having to deal with a lot of blowback would be to make it an unsigned order. Is that right? I mean, I, you know that, that. I think, Jason, that's descriptively that's
0: accurate. I, I'm I'm loath to impute that kind of intent.
1: Yeah, I don't want to. I, I don't want to you know put that intent out there. I'm just curious. Uh, I, just as a layperson, when I saw that, I was like, "What does that mean?" Well, you, but, know, you know, I, but, I, and, mean, I and know that it if, means something.
0: I think we see this with the U.S. Supreme Court, right? Where you know there have been some pretty um, uh, look at the fight that's still ongoing right now over the CDC's eviction moratorium. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. right there was a pretty big ruling from the court at the end of June, where the court refused to put the sort of then expiring. First round of the eviction moratorium on hold, mm-hmm. and where four of the justices signaled their dissent but didn't explain why, and mm-hmm. you know Justice Brett Kavanaugh was the only justice who wrote anything, and he wrote a single paragraph saying, you know, I have problems with the moratorium, but I'm going to leave it in place for now. Um, mm-hmm. I just think that as these orders are doing more and more work, Jason, it would be better for all of us, for you know, school board officials, right, for parents, for lower court judges if these courts took the time to explain themselves, because part of the mess we're in, part of why I started off by saying this is purgatory, is because there's a whole lot of tea leaf reading going on, Mm. and it shouldn't surprise us that perfectly reasonable people can read the same tea leaves differently. Um, Mm. A lot harder when you've got a lengthy opinion setting out the rationale, love it or hate it, at least now you know what you're dealing with. Yeah,
2: that's a good Mm. point, because uh, what Monday afternoon, the uh, county judge in Dallas County, Clay Jenkins, simply amended his order to remove the fines but left the mask mandate in place. And I think that you you point this out on Twitter as well, too. Hey, for our listener out there, just Steve underscore Vladeck, V-L-A-D-E-C-K, is where we go for our legal opinions. Um, <laughs> but the, the, I think your most recent sorry. one. No, it's great, man. <laughs> but you say the local mask mandates themselves are not directly blocked by anything the Supreme Court did on Sunday. Here, here Here's my question, and j- just for clarification and just to look ahead. H- how soon might any of these trial courts get these cases back and schedule a hearing and have everyone back in?
0: I mean, Jason, my sense is there were hearings today. Um, right here on Monday as as, you, as we're all talking. Um, certainly it'll be the early part of this week. I mean, everyone understands the urgency here. You know, I, here in Austin, I think school starts on Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, mm-hmm. You think I would know this since my daughter is starting <laughs> kindergarten. Um, You're talking right? us all the time, man. Um, so, so, you know, we're, I mean, everyone understands that this is, this is times of the essence here. Um, but I think the reality is that, you know, by the time we're done, my best guess is that, you know, the state's going to win these cases um, and that local mask mandates are not going to survive. But that doesn't mean that that's not that 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 doesn't mean that tomorrow. Right. Folks should not be complying with what they've been told by their local school districts. Um, and it doesn't mean that the Texas Supreme Court has already said that because um, it hasn't. And that's where, you know, we may all know where this train is going. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we should assume that we're already there. Steve, when, when's the last time you remember
2: such a revolt by so many, uh, you know, municipal uh cities, uh, counties, school districts across the state. Do you, do you recollect this happening before to the governor or the state government?
0: Not on this level, Jason. And and I think, you know, that is in part a sign of the times. Um and I think it's also a, a, in part a sign of just how divided we are on what frankly guys ought not to be a divisive right, topic. Right, right. Um and you know, I, everyone's going to have their strongly held beliefs about what the right answers are here. I just think it is Part of what we're seeing manifests itself in these cases and this confusion is what gets lost in this divisiveness, right? Is is the harm this divisiveness creates, which is uncertainty and potentially chaos, um, and you know that's in no one's interests. I think at the end of the day,
1: I, I sure don't want to complicate this further because you know you've already told us that you know somebody cannot you know appeal this state supreme court ruling to the U.S. Supreme Court. Is there a chance, though, that there is a district out there that could find a way to make this a federal issue and go to a federal court with it?
0: Maybe. Um, But that's you know, you'd have to argue, Jason, if you're going to go that far, that the governor's um, uh, ban um, is interfering with some federal Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know. I, for one, can think of a federal right. I mean, there are, I think, you know, there there are arguments in favor of federal rights to not to education in the abstract, but to particular kinds of education, to access to education and the like. Um, those are not arguments that have traditionally fared well with conservative judges. And mm-hmm. so, yes, is it possible that one of these school districts marches into federal court? Absolutely. Could they possibly even get a federal district court to agree with them? Sure. But, you know, let's remember that the Federal Appeals Court for Texas is the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, one of the most conservative appellate courts in the country. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's why whatever I think the right answer should be, the reality is I suspect the governor's going to win when all of this is over. Um, And, you know, maybe that's, folks might look at that and say, well, then why are these school districts doing what they're doing? Um, and I think the answer is because there are folks who believe that, you know, they need to exhaust every single possible legal avenue before conceding defeat because they think the governor's policy on this is so wrongheaded. Um, folks might disagree about that, but that's that's the way our legal system works, right? That opportunity is available to them.
1: Now, you say that you expect that the governor will win when this is all over with. How long before this is all over with, just in your estimation, if you had to spitball it? A couple of weeks.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I think I think the reality. So so back to how litigation works. Right. So what was happening over the weekend is we have these lawsuits in Dallas County and Bear County and now in Travis County, where you have um, school districts and local governments challenging the governor's executive order. Um, the Texas Supreme Court has temporarily blocked the lower court rulings. It has not yet ruled itself. Once the Texas Supreme Court rules on the merits of these challenges, once the Supreme Court says it was or was not, and I suspect was, within the governor's statutory authority under the Texas Disaster Act to issue the July ban, right? Um, at that point, the writing will effectively be on the wall, right, and at that point, I think it would probably not be um, a long-term strategic uh, uh, good, right, for school districts to continue to press it. Now, guys, there might be school districts out there that say, fine, right? We accept that the governor's ban is in place. The governor's ban says we have to pay a $1,000 for violating the ban. So, you know, we're going to violate the ban and pay the fine. Yeah. Um,
2: Steve, I, I didn't go to law school, obviously, because I'm asking you all these questions that are probably pretty boneheaded here. But it, it, explain this last thing, piggybacking off of what Jason said, too. If the case is going back to these trial courts in Dallas and Bear Counties, what's the and separately the Supreme Court's going to to rule on the merits uh, at at some point in the future too, based on what the trial courts reconsider?
0: That's right. So so what happens now is the trial courts are free to rule on what's called the application for preliminary injunction. That's the next procedural step. Uh-huh. And if we assume that the trial courts are going to grant preliminary injunctions, then the state can go back and say, well, we want to appeal that. Um, and so it's through that mechanism okay. that the merits, that the underlying validity of the governor's order can get back to the Texas Supreme Court and probably, Jason, pretty quickly at that. Hmm. Um, and so that's why I think we're looking at, you know, no more than a couple of weeks on this. Um, but again, I mean, I want to sort of underscore the, the, the last point I made just because the courts say that the order is valid. Right. Does not mean that we'll see no local mask mandates. It just means that there might be school districts that say we're going to intentionally violate the order and pay the fine. Mm.
1: I think I was paying good attention when I was in school and learning about Texas government. And I think that I remember it being said that we have a you know, relatively, quote unquote, weak governor as a position and that the lieutenant governor really holds a lot more power in this state. I'm curious if the governor ends up winning this battle in the courts, does this make him more powerful? Does this make local officials less powerful or is it just a matter of they always had these powers or didn't have these powers, but we're just sort of writing it out? Yeah, I mean what what a neat and, and neat and, and
0: messy question. I mean, I think the short answer, Jason, is um disaster statutes um tend to be a unique bucket of questions about the separation of powers within the state government. Um and so what I mean by that is you know, I don't know that we could take away broader lessons from this dispute about the governor's powers vis-a-vis everybody else. I think if 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 the governor prevails on these cases. That's going to reinforce the notion that under the Disaster Act, Mm. he has remarkably broad power, um, Mm. perhaps broader than we ever thought he did, um, to act not just against local governments, local school boards, right, but to act in ways that we might not actually think are helping to suppress the disaster. That might even be exacerbating the disaster. Mm. Um, And so I think, you know, to me, Jason, this is a referendum on the governor's emergency powers as delegated to him by the legislature. Which, of course, the legislature could always claw back. Which
2: which is the irony in this, because at the beginning of January, all these conservative lawmakers across the state were going to Austin. And one of the things they wanted to do was curtail the governor's powers during a disaster.
0: And and indeed, Jason, that and as you guys know, that was a response um, to perceptions that the governor had abused his power under the Disaster Act. (laughs) Right. Right in expanded election access.
1: Yeah, last year. Um, and that's why and that's why the governor has two candidates who are running to the right of him uh, in the Republican primary to try to remove him from office. Um,
0: and so I guess all this is just a long way of saying um, <laughs> that that political memories are short um, mm-hmm. and yeah. that and that, you know, what was as recently as January a concern that the governor was abusing the Disaster Act in ways that were bad for um, Republicans. Um, has now become um, sort of strong views that he is actually uh, ex- uh, expansively embracing the disaster act in a way that is good for Republicans. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if there's a moral to this story, guys, I think the moral of the story is it might be better off institutionally if the legislature, especially our part-time legislature, were to put a little more details into the disaster mm-hmm. act Mm-hmm. Um, to so, you know, so that even if we're okay with this one but not that one, there are more clear constraints for the future. Um, but that's where this fight is legally. Even if the optics are very different, the fight is over just how much authority has the legislature left the governor to deal with quote a disaster unquote, um, including in this case a disaster that at least his critics would say he's only making worse. Hmm. You actually,
2: yeah, you summed it up great here, man. Uh, I, I want to. Go I ahead. I ask Jason. you
1: one more thing before we let you go. Uh, you've you, you've got classes uh, fall of 2021. And just <sighs> kind of on a more personal note, how are you how are you feeling? I know that last year was a really odd year uh, for you and every other educator out there. How are you feeling going into this? Um, I, I know you're worried about your kids going to school, but how are you feeling personally there at the university? You know, I mean, this is a,
0: the, the the university, I think, is a different kettle of fish in this conversation. But I, as I think you guys know, um, we, right, are also precluded. We're also bound by this executive order. Mm-hmm. So we're not allowed to mandate masks in our classrooms. We're not allowed to mandate vaccination. We're not even allowed to encourage our students to wear masks or get vaccinated. You can't even no. encourage them to wear masks? Not, we're not, not in a way that coerces them and leaves them subject wow. to thinking that they face any kind of sanction if they don't. Wow. Hmm. Um, I have problems with that. (laughs) Um, Some of those sound in academic freedom. Some of those sound in just basic common sense. Um, But, you know, my job is to do my job. Um, And so I'm going to do my best to 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 try to create a climate in my classroom that is conducive to all viewpoints while trying to encourage folks to think not just about themselves but everybody else. Um, I wrote a long message to my entering first years, which I actually posted on Twitter, um, about the importance of community and how sometimes, you know, what we would choose to do if it were only up to us isn't actually the best thing to do for our community. Uh, Mm -hmm. But there's, you know, I think, guys, there's a lot of that going around where, you know, our governor for better or for worse has left a lot of this to individual decision making and the importance of individuals making decisions, not just based on what they want, but based on how they want to be part of the, the, the however they define their
1: community, right? The community around them. Mm. Good point. Well, Godspeed. Godspeed to you and your students and, and, and your colleagues there uh, as you begin a brand new semester and to your kids uh, and the kids they go to school hey, with.
0: You better find out when school starts, Steve. <laughs> so important. my daughter, I know my daughter starts Wednesday, but I think, there, <laughs> I, I think AISD actually starts tomorrow.
2: All right, man. Hey, thanks for always walking us through this and explaining it on a level where we can understand it. That, that That's important, and uh, it, it makes a lot more sense now. But as this unfolds over the next couple of weeks or whatever it is, I'm sure we might be uh, dialing you back if
0: you don't mind. Of course. Happy to join yeah. you. Back.
1: Thank you for always being a friend of of our little podcast. We should note that you have your own big podcast as well. It's called the National Security Law Podcast. So we should give that a plug here. For, uh, oh, yeah, for and, and this time. week's
0: upli- this week's uplifting topic is Afghanistan. So <laughs> oh, geez, this, this yeah. conversation wasn't sobering enough. Oh my God! So
1: many things going on, and none of them seem terribly happy. Indeed.
2: You know what I like about Professor Lody? I call him Steve, like we're first name basis here. But you know what I like about him? He he really boils it down to where I get it. And yeah. you know, I was teasing you early in the podcast about uh, you know putting it on your level. But I,
1: hey, I've got to be. Oh able no, to you're not teasing stuff. at all. You're not teasing at all because honestly, you look at these different you know court opinions that come down, and- right? You know, you reread the same sentence like 30 times to make sure that you've got this right. And, uh, and it's in legalese I, I, and
2: you don't know oh, what, what it's saying. Uh, yeah, absolutely, man. And, and there's it, so it, much it going on. It does help
1: to have somebody who sifts through all of that, though. And, and you right. know, it's interesting, though, Jason, it's not just it's not just you and it's not just me. Uh, <laughs> even some of these, you know, officials at the local level, you know, I think that they 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 study this like, wait what does this mean? Like, Does, is this order telling me that I can't, is it still kind of allowing me to? So there's, there's a lot of parsing that's going on here. Uh, but you know, I found uh, it interesting that, you know, Steve, as you call him, I call him professor Vladek because, you know, he knows a lot more than I do about this (laughs) stuff. Um, I I did think it's interesting that he thinks that this is all going to shake out in a matter of weeks. So, you know, I think we're used to these things becoming just, you know, entrenched in the courts and so forth. But the Supreme Court has really pushed this along here in Texas. Uh, So it's interesting that we may get to some sort of final solution here in the next couple of weeks. And then I wonder what comes out of that, you know, because we know that some of these districts have been considering maybe starting a virtual option, which the state right. has already said it's not going to fund. And so these districts would have to take on that burden. Some of them have already agreed to do that and spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to add a virtual option, because a lot of parents out there are going to say, if you don't have a mask mandate, I don't want my kid in school. So there's going to be another shoe to drop there.
2: And, and the way Professor Vladek put it to no matter which side you fall on, this just shows the importance of electing Supreme Court justices or judges at the trial level as well, too. People get all wrapped up in R's or D's and they decide they're going to vote for so-and-so because he's, uh, you know, an R or D. At the end of the day, these Supreme Court justices are are on one side or the other, technically, mm-hmm. even though some people say they should not be. But this shows if they're going to have the final word why it's important to Make sure you know who you're electing. Make sure you go all the way down the ballot where so many
1: of these judicial offices are, and mm-hmm. make sure
2: you 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 elect someone that that you think will uphold what you believe in.
1: Yeah. When is the last time that you really did a lot of homework yeah, right. on the 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 judge seats uh, when you get to the ballot? When's you know how many times have you gotten to that part of the ballot and thought how many of these are there that I'm not going to recognize any of the names on? Uh, how many times have you skipped those? Uh, this is where it matters, uh, yeah. depending on how you feel about uh, these different decisions. So, yeah, there is some education to be had in there from the professor today, or as Jason calls him, Steve. Steve, I call you just Wheeler Steve. as well, too. My wife laughs, laughs at me because I say Wheeler, evidently. I, say whe- I don't have Wheeler, a law degree, though, and I don't teach uh, really, really smart, we're, people, we're smart right. people at the University of Texas we're, either. So we're you lucky to do this podcast
2: that. as well, too. We're, we're just lucky to do the podcast <laughs> here. But, you know, if, if, if Professor Vladek can, can lay out all this legal stuff so eloquently and, and, you know, make us understand it. Imagine how he tackles the Afghanistan issue right Mm. now. And that's something Mm. that, for whatever reason, has just gotten, you know, really polarized. But, hey, that's another podcast. That's his podcast this week, not ours. So, regardless, we always appreciate you downloading us and subscribing to us. Thank you so much. If you haven't subscribed, make sure you hit that subscription button. Like us and uh, leave us a a rating, too, if you don't mind. Let let, let us know what you think about uh, our podcast, our, our little old podcast here in Texas, the unofficial podcast of Texas. So for Jason Wheeler and Taylor Lumsden, Michael McArdle, our two producers, we appreciate you listening, and we'll see you next week.